Hey, welcome everyone to the Dream Builders podcast. I am super excited for this upcoming episode where we're going to talk about what you can learn about tracking your brainwaves and how to upgrade your mind to luminous awareness. And I've invited a very special guest today and I'm delighted to introduce to you Holly Copeland. Now, Holly is the founder of Heart Mind Alchemy. She is a certified human potential coach, a healing practitioner and a leader at the intersection of technology consciousness, biohacking, and awakening. And she blends modern science and ancient wisdom traditions to guide people living in flow joyfully and effortlessly. So Holly, thank you so much for coming on the Dream Builders podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just delighted to be here, truly. <laughs> you know, what I, what I loved about the fact that like, we met a week ago, what I really loved about you, and we we're just talking about it as well, is that you know, you studied and tracked and analyzed your own brainwaves for, for more than six months. You created your own data file and graphs and so on, in which you could exactly read how you progressed over time. And I think that's very, very cool. Now, before we talk about that, I would like love to know where you got that, you know, where you got that passion for uh, from tracking your brainwaves and really to get into these flow states. So I would love to know what for you has been kind of a pivotal moment in your life when you really, really realized like, hmm, I really want to dedicate myself into this realm of meditation, neuroscience, and how to be in states of flow. Yeah, thank you. Well, so how did I get into it? I, um, I'm a coach and a healing practitioner now, but for over 20 years, about 25 years, I was actually a conservation scientist with the Nature Conservancy um, and the University of Wyoming. And so... Um, my day, my day was spent actually analyzing data on species and systems to try to conserve them. Um, and I, there came a pivotal moment in my life, it was about 2017, where I started to feel and sense that there was something, I wasn't quite aligned in my job. It just wasn't quite sitting with me. It was an amazing job. I mean, by anybody's standards, it was a dream job, truly. Um, and I loved the work, but I could feel an inner pull that I was supposed to be doing something else. And I really had no idea what I was supposed to be doing at the time. Um, I just just had that unsettled feeling inside. And um, that eventually led me to, to quitting that job. And um, it, it was a little bit of a gradual process, but I basically invited spirit in to help me you know, figure out what I should be doing. So I, I shifted jobs to the University of Wyoming after my 20 year career at the Conservancy. And at the same time, I was really steep, like going into a deep soul search. Um, I also had mold poisoning. Um, and so I had a health crisis that was happening at the same time. So there was a bit of a nexus of health crisis and I'm supposed to be doing something else. And what emerged from that was a really clear message that I got one day. I was actually out on a run and I heard somebody on a podcast uh, who was a coach and I just had this voice enter in saying, that's what you should be doing. And I enrolled in a coaching program three months, three weeks later. Um, and really what happened was I, I, um, it was my own personal, so many of these are right, personal journeys, right? So what led me to, to tracking my brain was this recognition that I, while I had paid really close attention to diet and um, 
you know, sort of exercise. And I, I was always really conscious about those things, but I, but my own sort of inner narrative mind, you know, my own inner happiness was I'd never been able to meditate. I'd never really been able to hack my mind, if you will. And I, and I decided I needed to really work on that. Um, and so I kind of took up meditation as, as a project, if you will, <laughs> I called it my rewire my brain project. I was um, <laughs> yeah, like, this is kind of a mess in here, you know, and I'd like to, to work on that. Um, and I got this device, the muse, this, um, uh, device that tracks your brain waves. Um, and I started learning about brainwaves and brainwave science. And I think what I did was I took my approach for my, as a scientist, and I started applying it to my own brain. Um, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> because that's just how I approached all problems. So I was like, well, okay. Uh, especially when I learned, I mean, when I first put the Muse device on and I could hear my brainwaves while I was meditating, I just thought that was the biggest, oh my God, you know, I'd come across in a really long time because now actually had a way to tell if my brain was busy or if my brain was quiet. That feedback for me was such an aha. And then when I learned that, okay, oh, I can, not only can I track my brainwaves, but I can actually, um, you know, start to understand over time those changes. I just got really excited because data, data makes me excited. <laughs> Um, turning the, it felt like I was turning what feels like a black box in our heads into a tractable problem, if you will, you know? Mm -hmm. And I know what you're talking about when you're talking about data and science, because I told you last time as well that, you know, I've been working um, for five years, mostly in finance jobs. So, you know, data analytics and building graphs and really seeing what the progress is, is like something that I've been working on as well. So I really relate to that. Um, <laughs> I find it super funny that you're so uh, into that stuff as well. Um, you know, when, when you were, I, I want to zoom in a little bit on, um, because I, I found it interesting what you mentioned. You mentioned that you felt the inner pearl to quit your job. Um, but what was for you the kind of right moment to, to quit? Because there are like many people think different about this and, and don't know when to quit or what time to quit or when you should pursue your inner calling because you felt that inner pull, right? How did you know that it was the right time to, to go for it? Yeah, it's such a good question. So I had a little bit of a transition in that, like I said, I, I transitioned to a job at the University of Wyoming, which was also a data science job, but there was something that was like a soft landing. That was my first step was just to like shift from this one group that I'd been in that I'd had a career for 20 years into something with some new people and, and a bit of a different job. And then that gave me this wisdom of, of oh, actually this, this is not just about the place that I've been for 20 years because there were some things going on there that I just, I wanted to shift organizations. And then I understood, okay, no, this is actually about something really bigger. So that gave me a little bit of that soft landing, gave me clarity. And then was the big jump, which was how do you actually, you know, leave? I, I did part-time for a couple months. I, they actually asked them if I could go part-time, which they did. And then I recognized, oh, 
you know, in order to really do this job as a coach, I actually need to give it my full attention and don't get, yeah. And don't get me wrong. Like I had all kinds of people telling me, you know, um, you know, oh no, earn this amount of income before you quit. Like be show that you can be self-sufficient completely before you quit. And that didn't make any sense to me because how can I possibly um, expect to earn a full-time income when I'm only doing something part-time, Yeah, mm-hmm. you know? And so I really saw it as my moment of a leap of faith. And I don't know um, if your listeners or people remember, but there's this amazing scene in Indiana Jones movie, the third movie, where he's standing at this, this um, chasm that he has to cross. It's called the leap of faith scene. And he has to, you know, he has to take a step into this chasm and he can't see anything. And he takes a step and there's this hidden rock, you know, that appears in front of him. And it felt like that to me, like there came a moment where it's like, this is my leap of faith moment. I have to believe in myself. I have to believe in the universe that I can do this. Um, and just trust. It's, it's, I think one of the hardest things that you could possibly do um, to quit I mean, I had a full-time salary, I had healthcare, I had 401k benefits. I mean, I had all the things. And yet I just knew that it wasn't, I was supposed to be doing something else. Yeah. Such a brave step though. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. you. (laughs) I made a similar step when I moved from corporate to entrepreneurship and I had a similar calling and you know, they always say like, yeah, you need to save up enough money in order to make the step or you need to start part-time. But I think for everybody, it's different because we all walk a different journey. Um, and either way, we're going to learn along, you know, along life, what ha- like what happens and what comes to our, on our path. And that's the way that we evolve and grow. And so for yeah. me, like I just quit and left everything behind. <laughs> awesome. awesome. I knew I had some ideas and so on, but I didn't yeah. have like a, like I wasn't a coach yet or so, or I wasn't an expert mm-hmm. in something yet. So I was just going to build it up from there, but I felt that pills as well. So it's yeah. just like taking a step and doing it and trusting that process. I think it's very important what you just said, like just trust and believe that it will, yeah, it will be well. Right? It's a belief. It's a totally. And it's like a belief in yourself. Actually. It's like, you have to believe in your own capability and your own heart. Like if you really are dedicated to it that much, that the universe has your back, that the universe is there to support you. Um, you know, and a willingness, I think, to, to recognize that that's actually the most important thing. So, um, yeah, I just knew one way or another I would make it work. Even if I had to work at a coffee shop, you know, in the evening or wait tables for a few hours, I didn't really care. Right. Like, (laughs) like if that was what I had to do, I would have done that. But I knew that getting out of this full-time job and really releasing myself from all that was what was the most important step. And I absolutely hundred percent, that was true. Yeah. Awesome. And then you started immediately (laughs) digging into neuroscience and so on. Yeah. Um, you use that uh, the device, the Muse, right? Um, mm-hmm. Very important for people that n- don't know what it is. Maybe you can explain um, how it how it tracks um, your brain waves. I think it's it's interesting as well. 
Sure, yeah, I'd be happy to. So the Muse is this wearable headband. It has four sensors, two in the front and two in the back behind your ears. Um, it's not very expensive. It's like two or $300, so it's pretty affordable. Um, and you can use it in a couple different ways. The um, You can use it with neurofeedback where you hear this sound of the rain. And as your, um, if your brain is very noisy, then you'll hear a lot of rain. And as you quiet your mind, then the rain starts to go away. Um, and then there are also, there's a third party app called Mind Monitor that allows you to, instead of using the kind of native Muse app, you just track your brain waves. So you don't hear any feedback. So I do other types of meditation, but it um, tracks my brain waves and, and um, it's like a very inexpensive app. It's like $15. And then you just sit, you go in, you save your files, and then you can bring them up um, in the, in the app um, or on their website and create a profile graph of your brain waves. So you see alpha, delta, theta, beta, you know, coming along. Um, and so I started, that was what I liked the most was using that because then I could really see over time, over during the duration of the meditation, so 45 minutes or an hour, let's say, I could see what my brain waves were doing. And I started to really just watch every day um, tracking my brain waves when I meditated. And I did this, I actually did it for about two years um, every day. And what I noticed over time, and I, I actually entered a meditation, a subtle energy meditation class, this amazing class called Raising Our Vibration Subtle Energy Meditation. And so I was working with these teachers at the time. So I was going deeper and deeper into meditation. And what I could see on my graphs um, was that I started to see patterns like where I would shift into a deeper state. So I could see like theta jumping up, for example. Um, sometimes in an excited state, I would see like gamma jumping up. So I, and I started to just watch and learn like a, you're a data analyst, you know, you just start studying the data and you get familiar with it. And what I loved was that as I would get into a deeper state of meditation, I could actually see that shift on the graph. And I just thought that was so cool because, again, when you're meditating, um, at first when you start meditating, it you don't really know and understand that these deeper states are even possible, that you can yeah. get into states of meditation where it's just flowing, right? And there's no effort and the meditation is doing itself. And what the graph provided was that visual validation i'd get in a meditation or i'd come out of a meditation and i'd feel like wow that was really profound and then i could look at the graph and i could see how my brain waves shifted exactly. yeah. <laughs> yeah and so um so that was my first big aha and then the second one was because i had been a data analyst i was really um i can program in in r the um statistical program that a lot of a lot of universities use and it's um, not a complicated program but I wrote a program just to suck in all the data for all my meditations so over six months or a year and then I just wanted to see like what happened to theta over six months of meditating what happened to alpha did I actually 
increase those things because if you go look at the literature um so I, again i have a science background so i like to read the literature so i started diving into meditation research and there are the very consistent patterns in meditation research of quieting of the mind like what does quieting of the mind actually look like from a data perspective and so if you dive into that research what you'll find is a number of somewhat consistent patterns where the frontal the prefrontal cortex the forehead you know part of the brain quiets and starts to still um, and uh, as does the back uh, temporal lobes and uh, so beta and gamma typically decrease at first and alpha and theta start to rise and theta especially starts to rise and there's some more subtle patterns and that you can you know um, that different researchers have found um, but that's one pattern that kind of shows up consistently, this quieting of the mind. And so now I knew what the research said about what quieting of the mind looks like. And so I was really curious, would I find that in my own data tracking it? So that's why I use this R program to, to help me understand what had happened in my brain over six months or a year. Um, and in fact, that's what I found. Um, I actually found, um, I found an overall consistent pattern of alpha and theta increasing um, and gamma and beta decreasing. And then I found some more subtle patterns. I analyzed them with the different sensors um, and saw, especially in the temporal lobes, especially in the back lobes, I really increased my alpha and theta. And that's, you know, the back is where like deep meditation really happens um, in, the, in the rear of our brain. So. Yeah, so I was able to validate the research with my own data, and I just thought that was really fun. <laughs> That's amazing, because like sometimes when I meditate, and I think other people can relate to that, is you're thinking like, do, am I meditating right? Because you're, you're sitting with your eyes closed. Am I doing it right? It, I have, sometimes I have noise in my mind, and I'm like, is my meditation now effective, or is it not? Um, and I think by tracking your brain like the way that you did it you could actually see what happened over time right and what you just described that you yes. actually over time uh, went into the, the gamma and, and and all these kind of states um so i think that's that's very cool now what is like for you the most important kind of lesson that you learned over these two years that you tracked your brain yeah oh that's a great question the most important lesson I learned was that the brain is plastic, that we absolutely can change our own minds. And so I went into this project with a pretty busy mind, that data analytical, um, I would say, not overly judgmental and critical, but, you know, kind of barking at me most of the day long, you know, of do this, do that, you got to do this. And through the process of meditation and, um, well, through the process of meditation, I really quiet my mind. I really just started having, I have way fewer thoughts. My brain is, you know, much, much calmer and clearer than it was when I started. So you know, you absolutely can change your, your brain. And so if you think that this barky voice in your head is just the way things are, and there's no way out of that, then I, you're, you know, that is not my experience at all. 
Um, and then just coupled with the power of data to change, you know, to change our own habits and understanding, you know, just like if you went to the gym and there was no way to, there was no, you had no way to tell if you were progressing, you know, if your weights were getting heavier, you had no way to tell. It's hard, it's hard to be motivated to do those things. And meditation can be hard to be motivated to stay doing it. But for me, I really stayed motivated because I could feel the changes. I could feel my brain getting quieter and I could see the shifts in the graph. So that gave me that mm, tangible evidence, if you will. It was like an evidence-based project where I could really feel and see the differences for myself. Yeah. So when you talk about changing your mind and fewer thoughts and calming the mind, like, is there any particular type of meditation that you used and found very beneficial or sort of meditation practice that you did for yourself that you know that really worked out? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I have explored a number of different types of meditation. At, I will say that at first, the type that I was practicing was concentration-based meditation. So just following um, the breath. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, even within, I would say eight weeks, I really noticed a difference with concentration meditation. But ultimately, then I moved into types of meditation where I was, two, two primary types. So subtle energy meditation where you're working with energy in the spine, you're breathing up the spine. Um, like Joe Dispenza does that. It's based on Kriya. It has lots of... Um, uh, you know, ancient traditions throughout the East use this technique of breathing in the spine. I thought that was incredibly helpful to learn to breathe in the spine and work with breath there. Um, and then the other technique that I really dove deep into is based on Mahamudra and Dzogchen, uh, the Tibetan traditions of direct awakening practices, so directly seeing that we are not our thoughts, that we are not our body, um, direct inquiry meditation into just allowing what is and opening into what I would call like just open spacious awareness. Um, really, that to me, that's kind of the ultimate quiet mind meditation. Mm. Um, that That recognition of the mind versus awareness was incredibly profound for me. So I teach a lot of that now in the work that I do. And can you perhaps tell how that meditation works? <laughs> I would be very interested to know more about that. <laughs> yes, I would be happy to, <laughs> to tell you more. I'd be happy to guide the listeners in a short exercise if you would like. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Okay, great. It takes 10 minutes, roughly. Yeah. Yeah. 10 minutes. About right. All right, let's do it. Okay, Take awesome. So, um, so I'll just invite you, invite your listeners to just close your eyes. Let's just take a couple of breaths together to center ourselves. Coming back into the body. And just notice that before you do anything, awareness is here. This most 
basic and essential knowing. I am aware. Notice that there's nothing you need to do to make awareness happen. So we could say awareness is here without your help. So we could call awareness the subject. And notice that everything is your experience right now are all information coming to awareness. So every sound you hear, every sensation you feel on your skin, if your eyes were open, light would be coming to your eyes. Even thoughts or feelings All of these are simply information. Something you're aware of. So we can call these the objects of awareness. So we'll turn our attention around from the objects or information of awareness and examine awareness itself. And start to notice the qualities of awareness. Awareness is not an object. So objects may have color or shape. Awareness does not have color or shape. So see if you can find any edges to your awareness. So maybe take awareness out up above your head and see if you can find an edge. And if you think you've found one, just pour space into space till you see for yourself that awareness has no edges or boundaries. And then notice that awareness 
is ever present and it doesn't come and go in time. So this awareness is always here, right? So it's timeless. This is very different from an object, like a thought. Ask yourself, has any thought I've ever had stayed in my awareness? Has any feeling I've ever had stayed in awareness? Notice that no thoughts and feelings, they're impermanent. They arise like a wave in the ocean and then they dissolve. So awareness is timeless and boundless. and free. And you are this awareness. What else would you be? This means you are timeless and boundless and free. And just notice and feel how from awareness, when we take the position from awareness, we can allow everything to just come, arise, and dissolve. as if awareness were the sky and objects are clouds. They temporarily appear and then they dissolve back into the sky. Notice that clouds just like clouds can't hurt the sky, a thunderstorm doesn't hurt the sky. We can see our thoughts or feelings this way. They can't hurt awareness. So shifting into freedom into our essential being, which is open and spacious and free and at peace. 
is a simple shift away from the perception of ourselves as thoughts and feelings, like a melting back into our true nature, our true knowing, which is whole and complete and doesn't need anything to be better. is really important to notice that you don't need to think to be, that your being is already okay. And you can just allow whatever arises, pain, heartache, sadness, simply be with them and meet them with the tenderness and compassion and openness of awareness. And in this way, you can find this safe ground of being. It's always here and always available and is what you truly are. In this way, it's like a grand homecoming. To your own whole perfect self. And when you're ready, just allow yourself to gently open your eyes. But see if you can hold your attention still on that awareness. See what it's like to be in that awareness from open eyes centered in the ground of your being, aware of everything that's arising, but not leaving home. Thank you. Thank you for your practice, for everyone listening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Holly. <laughs> How was that for you? I'm so curious. Um, that, that was great. That was great. I'm, I'm still kind of encapsulating and, and, and seeing what happened. Mm -hmm. But I think the most important for me was to, um, you know, to understand that everything comes and goes also in terms of thoughts and emotions and all these kind of things. Um, and then <clears throat> as well, the fact that you're always here, you're always present in this moment no matter what happens, you can be free. And yeah. it's okay to be home. It's okay to be yourself, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that isn't that the definition really of aligning to our true, you know, immaculate being. 
mm. our true our true self is to stay in that um to stay at home not leave exactly you know. yeah wow Ali, thank you so much for sharing this beautiful meditation with my listeners. I hope everyone is still there. And <laughs> 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 yeah, um, you're so welcome. No, but I really, really love this. So thank you so much. And mm -hmm. uh, before you, of course, um, go and leave us, please let us know what the best places are that people can can find you and your work, your social media links, or anything else that you would love to to promote. Yeah, thank you so much. So um, heartmindalchemy.com is my website and you'll find um, an opportunity to sign up for, you know, for any mailings that I have. And I don't, I don't send out many, but, um, you know, courses and things like that that I'm offering. Like, for example, I have an upcoming meditation 10 week course that I'm running starting in March and there'll be an announcement about that um, type of thing, workshops that I'm doing. So um, also Instagram, Holly Aaron Copeland. So yeah, that's, those are the best ways to find me. Facebook. Oh, that's the other one. I have a Facebook community called Heart Mind Alchemy Lab. So if somebody, if one of your listeners is inspired to get a muse and start um, tracking your meditations and you want to join a community of people who are doing that and will comment on each other's graphs, I have a Facebook community called Heart Mind Alchemy Lab and I welcome anybody to join. That's awesome. I totally recommend recommend anybody to who, anyone who's listening right now to to join Holly in that Facebook group. Super cool to know more about consciousness, neuroscience, and biohacking, and knowing everything more about meditation as well. So yeah. I will drop the links in the show notes below. Uh, Holly, before you go, I would love to ask you one final question, and that is like, what has been for you the most important factor to really live out your purpose? Mm. I think when all is said and done to just follow your inner knowing, to follow, you know, listen deeply to that calling, whatever that calling is for you, that each of us, if we can go in and simply hear that and awaken to that, and then that's our highest purpose. So um, we, we do ourselves and the world incredible service when we follow our deepest knowing our deepest heart awesome and i think everybody who's still listening can redo the meditation right now because i really really love that that's also a way we can get to know more about ourselves right, right. so holly i really appreciated that you were coming on i absolutely wish you all the energy in the world the best Thank of you. luck in the future i will be uh, looking forward to, to see what you're going to do as well and uh, let's stay in touch. Yeah, I'd love to stay in touch. And thank you so much. I just really appreciate the opportunity to come on. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode about how to upgrade from ordinary to awakened mind with Holly Copeland. Now, if you really enjoyed this, make sure that you share this with all of your friends or somebody that you think could be inspired by this episode. You can simply do so by sharing the link on social media or you could share my website dreambuilders.com forward slash podcast. If you really like the episode, make sure that you click the subscribe button right now on Spotify or Apple podcast. And it would of course be awesome if you could leave a review about the part that you enjoyed the most. Thank you so much for listening. 
I'm looking forward to see you soon and keep living out who you truly are.